Good morning, and welcome to the Chinook Podcast. My name is Brad Donovan. I'm an elder at the Church of Christ Covenant Church in Grand Prairie, Alberta, and we welcome you here today. Uh, something that you may or may not know about me, I've been married to my wife now for 13 years and change. Excellent. Jamie Souls here. Uh, Valerie and I uh, celebrated uh, about half a year ago our 33rd wedding anniversary. Oh, congratulations. And uh, yeah, we're still cruising along. And Nathan Zeckfeld here, and my wife Ashley and I have been married for five years, so we are still wet behind the ears. Mm. Ah, five. <laughs> That's a good number. <laughs> All right, well, today, today our topic is Christian education. Christian education. Yes. Christians need to be educated. Quite. In fact, <laughs> education should be synonymous with Christian living. Oh, there you go. There we go. So today, I'm just going to start off with some autobiographical account, just so that the listener can kind of understand where I've come to through this, and then we're just going to start talking. All right, so I, when I was born, I was very young. <laughs> mm, <laughs> True story. <yes>. <laughs> <laughs> True story. Uh, when I started my education journey... My father decided that we would be homeschooled at the time in British Columbia when this happened. So this would have been 1989 or 90. We were living in a town called Fort Nelson. Basically, if you go to the edge of the earth and then you jump off and you fall about halfway down that cliff, you reach Fort Nelson. <laughs> it's this tiny town way up in northern BC. And at the time we started homeschooling, it was basically illegal in British Columbia to homeschool. So he ran risks that uh, child services would take us children away, but he decided that that was what he was going to do anyway. He grew up in a home where both of his parents were public school teachers, and so he was very much aware of the godlessness in the government school system. So we homeschooled until I was about 10. Then my mother uh, grew very, very ill and couldn't do the education work with us anymore. So we went to a Christian school. By this point, we'd moved to Fort St. John, BC. There was a Christian school there. I attended there for two years. And then we had a series of um, neg aggressively negative interactions with the principal of said school. <laughs> and I wound up going to public school. So I was in public school from grade seven, through to my graduation in grade 12. There's 12 grades in British Columbia at the time. So I've seen homeschool, private school, and public school. When I got out of school, I, I, had de I decided probably while I was still in high school that when I got married and the Lord gave me a wife and children, I would homeschool because I would never allow my children to darken the inside of the halls of these institutions of the government. I was... That offended with what they'd done to me. So, and here's, <laughs> I was, and I still am. Us too. Yeah. Yeah. And you were offended what they did to me as well. Yes. <clears throat> and with reason. So I, I'm a fairly articulate fellow sometimes. And so some people would mistake that for being well-educated. I don't know why. <laughs> but my education was strikingly bad. And I came to this realization when I was 17 years old. 
And there's a very, there's a moment in time where I realized how stupid I had been made. So <laughs> I was returning a bunch of books from our church library uh, that my mother had checked out. So again, my mother was very sick. She was not quite bedridden at this point, but she was not very mobile, but she loves and still loves to read. So she checked these books out of the church library and I was returning them. While I was there that day, our youth pastor was there and our youth pastor was one of the rare kind of youth pastors where nobody's really sure how that guy wound up being a youth pastor. And there's, there's a story there, but he's the kind of guy that you really want just to be everybody's pastor. A well-studied, articulate, thoughtful man, loves Jesus, loves his word, of thorough Reformed convictions. Again, we snagged him at a Mennonite church. And there's a story there, but I won't tell it now. He, he, he was there that day, so I dropped in to say hi. So Pastor Dan, he asked me what I was doing. I said, well, here I am returning these books. He looks in, in the bag, and he looks at the books, and he says, you read those kind of books? I said, no, 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 these are for my mother. And he's like, oh, okay. Oh. Well, in this library, he said, and he points at the wall, he said, there's only one set of books worth reading in this entire church library. And he points at the top shelf. And on the top shelf, there's the, uh, the set of the early church fathers edited by Philip Schaff and his friends from the Mercersburg uh, movement in uh, Pennsylvania, I think. Yeah. So he got a bunch of scholars on both sides of the Atlantic to retranslate all of these patristics. So Augustine, Chrysostom, uh, you've got Ambrose in there. You've got some of the weirdos like Tertullian. There's one work of origin in that set. Origin was a weirdo. Um, yeah. Wow. Yep. He was a bit weird. Yeah. He was not a trained doctor yet. Yet he did surgery um, on himself. Uh, <laughs> true story. There's uh, th there's some other uh, oddities in there. You've got uh, some church histories from uh, Rufinus. Uh, you've got the church histories of Eusebius. He was a personal friend of Constantine the Emperor. He wrote A Life and Times of Constantine. He wrote a history of the church up to his point with a heavy emphasis on the martyrs. You've got all this, this good stuff in the set. And Pastor Dan said that's the only set of books in this library, worth reading. The rest of it you could burn or throw out, and it wouldn't negatively affect Christendom, but those a man should read. And me, being a 17-year-old and a serious Christian, and I thought to myself, well, I should read one of these. So I checked out Irenaeus Against Heresies, and I took it home, and I tried reading it, and I could not understand a word that guy said. <laughs> like, I, you have no idea how humiliating it is for a 17-year-old young man when you open a book, it's English, it's translated, obviously, from Greek. I believe Irenaeus wrote in Greek. But uh, I cracked it open, I read it, and I didn't understand a thing. And I thought to myself, I am stupid. <laughs> my conclusion was not that Irenaeus was stupid because Pastor Dan said he was good. My conclusion was that there was a deficiency in my education or training, that I could not understand him. So I went to Bible school, and there was a second point where I realized how ill-served I had been in my education. At PRBI at the time, so that's Peace River Bible Institute in Sexsmith, Alberta, uh, sometimes called... Peace River Bridal Institute. Yes, it the, has worked that way quite often. For, for many, but not for me. I was one of the untouchables. I, I exited, their, 
after two years having no wife. So I think I should get my money back on that one. But uh, <laughs> so, so the one of the things that they were doing, and this would have been 2004, yeah, 2004, I think was my freshman year there. Every student, regardless of age or previous training, every student went through a remedial English class in your first semester. Mm-hmm. And they did this because you couldn't move on to any other course of study until you had gotten down the basics. And it was there that I realized that I did not know what, how to define an adverb, a helping verb. I, I couldn't tell you what an adverb was. I couldn't find it on a page. No idea. I knew what a noun was, but that was about the extent of my grammatical knowledge. And again, as a child, I was a voracious reader. Like I would literally read 20 books a month, some months. Like big books, not small books. And uh, again, I realized how poorly served by my education I had been. So when I got out of Bible school, one of the things I decided to do with my money when I got my first job, I said to myself that I would invest in tools and I would invest in books. I would invest in tools for skills and books for knowledge. And so I made that my habit and I... I've run up many a credit card debt on both. <laughs> you bought that early church father's set pretty early, didn't you? It was the first thing I bought. It was the first thing you bought. Yeah. Back, now, back in the day, Christian book distributors had it available in right. their catalog. You remember the old catalog yeah, that they used to have? Paper? I remember those. So you had to mail them a check. So I mailed them a check for the early church father's set. And uh, about three, four weeks later, they sent, I think it came with four boxes. Wow. It's 28 volumes, yeah. and I've been working through it ever since. And some of it's remarkable. You've got Athanasius on the Incarnation, Great which book. is a, a fantastic book. Um, Augustine's City of God, fantastic book. Uh, Chrysostom Sermons, some of them are deeply interesting. Some of them, it's funny because some of the scribes that were transcribing these sermons, they were clearly transcribing while he was speaking uh, because in some cases, instructions to the audience to be quiet or to pay attention <laughs> are included in the sermon. They're included. Yeah, uh. so, uh, which is deeply amusing. <laughs> uh, I also remember the first time I tried to read a philosophy book, I found Plato's Republic on my dad's bookshelf. And it was a more modern translation. And, and this, again, spoke to my ill education. <laughs> Uh, and this is about the same time as I tried to read Irenaeus. It was about the same time. So I was 16, 17 years old. And I tried reading Plato's Republic, and I thought to myself, man, this guy's got some interesting ideas. And then when I get older, I realize that some of his ideas were just not very interesting at all. In fact, they're downright scary. Like, you know, common property, mm-hmm. the oh, sharing yeah. of wives, and <laughs> the philosophers must rule. So <laughs> a remarkably uh, self-serving assertion. As a man who did not know the spirit. <laughs> no, he didn't. He did not know of whose spirit he was. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so that's my personal uh, journey through my own personal education. Since then, I've tried to you know, re-educate myself. But now I get married, and my wife and I, we have children. And one of the things that we talked about before we got married was that we were going to homeschool. Because in our area, there really aren't that many options for Christian education. There is a Christian school in town. However, it's a 
government school. They're taking money from the government. And so they don't have, you know, the freedom that we wanted. And so we began to homeschool. Over the course of time, of course, one of the things you run into in homeschooling is the natural limitations that I and my wife have. Mm -hmm. Our education isn't complete. It's very hard to give our children something we haven't ourselves received. And we want for them the very best. So we have, in the course of time, gotten involved in a school project, founding a school. We did that for a year. It was called Cornerstone. And then that folded basically after the first year because of a lack of money and a lack of interest in the church in Grand Prairie in Christian education. And it's that thing that provokes me to want to talk about this now. Mm-hmm. Why is there no interest in Christian education in the Albertan church? Well, a hunger for, a hunger for education uh, implies the need for a future. Right. There's a great deal of the Christian church still operating on the assumption that the end is upon us. Uh, I'm sure that has something to do with it. Yeah. One of the things I noticed, we were involved in classical conversations for a number of years. Here, we, uh, One of our friends actually founded the local classical conversations chapter. Mm-hmm. One of the things I noticed was that very thing. When COVID hit and all the lockdowns and masking and all that, the, the attitude, the demeanor of the parents of, the, of these children in this co-op was all of it. You know, Debbie Downer, what are we doing? Maybe it's the, this is the sign of the end. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe this is you know, where we're going to have fire and brimstone. Our society will collapse. The Lord will return. Is there really, well, let's just take our kids back to the farm and... You know, do something, but not yeah. not education. So I found that very disheartening that these, my friends, were despondent. And uh, I, I thought then and still think now that COVID is a marvelous opportunity for the Church of God to, uh, to stand up and, and do good work. But uh, yeah, there was this, this insular, introspective type of a thing, yeah. and coupled with this depression. (laughs) Well, among other things, I've done some reflection on education over the course of COVID. And I think online testing and stuff like online testing has caused, uh, there's already been a decline in the quality of education in the public schools, Mm -hmm. but all the online testing has caused an even greater decline. Um, I believe that grading rubrics have, uh, have slipped with COVID. So, we might be seeing the end of public education in some ways. It might take a while for it to fizzle out, Mm -hmm. but we are going to have to think as Christians about, okay, well, how do we educate our children, whether homeschooling, can we do it well? If Christian education, how can we build institutions that, um, that, that really teach our children how to think critically, to think as Christians Mm -hmm. and also to have a thorough and grounded understanding of some of the, um, philosophies of unbelief in this world that we need to fight against as Christians. Like um, our children should understand Darwin. Our children should understand all these different guys that um, have eroded the foundations of the Christian faith in our world. 
Yeah, I, I 100% agree. In fact, uh, it's not on the curriculum this year, I think, but it might be next year. I think my daughter has to read Charles Darwin next year, I think. Okay. She actually has to read the book, <clears throat> that racist screed that we call the... The Origin of Species? Yes. <laughs> yes. The Origin of the Species, yes. And that's good. That's good that she's reading it as young as high school. <clears throat> I didn't read it until I was in university. Yeah. So. And I didn't know that he had published an actual book until I was in high school. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> now, the, one of the advantages I had was I, I had a father who uh, did a good job of inoculating me against much of the nonsense. So I went into my pagan high school and I was taught this evolution mm -hmm. and I had tools with which to deal with it. Right. Mostly like mocking laughter. Yeah. Because it's That's stupid. A good tool. Yeah. Well, it's it a great tool. Uh, there was so, also the old video series uh, with Ken Ham, I think. I remember those. They, they came in those VHSs. Mm -hmm. Do you remember VHS tapes? Yes, yeah. I do. Oh, those things were magnificent. They were huge. But, uh, there, there were a number of lectures on there from Ken Ham. I remember watching them as a 12-year-old. And he just starts poking holes in, in all the claims of evolutionary science. And by golly, that was useful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I guess even when you were going to public school, I guess there was a type of homeschooling going on in your home by which your parents were inoculating you against the lies of public school. Oh, very much so. <laughs> And I, I think that's an important point to make is mm. that uh, there was a lot of homeschooling going on in your life. There was, and I'm obviously not alone in that. But uh, I think it is helpful for us to turn to the scriptures to find out what exactly God says about education. And probably the best place to start is Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Yes. Now this here is in the section following the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy. So you got your Ten Commandments, and then it moves into this. Deuteronomy 6.4. This is a very famous part of Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And for us, here's the money line. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, uh, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build and houses full of good things that you did not fill and cisterns that you did not dig and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So the command to educate your children here is toward the end that you forget not the Lord but it's funny that he says, you shall, teach, you shall teach them diligently to your children the commands of the Lord, so that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and might. And you shall talk of them when you sit, and when you walk, and when you lie down, and when you rise. So the father in the house is responsible before God for the education of his children. Yes, 
I would agree with that. That's reiterated in the New Testament in Ephesians chapter 6. Indeed. Verse 4, it says, Fathers, uh, I'm reading out of the ESV just now, the fathers do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So what then does this mean? Well, there's a word, uh, the word in here in Greek is paideia, which has to do with not just teaching them about not just teaching them about salvation in Jesus it's teaching them everything everything that they are learning they are to learn in the lord mm. there there is uh, uh we're to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the lord Indeed. so that their their education the way uh, like education is to prepare you for facing your life, right? Right. Okay. We understand that the Lord has everything to do with our life, and we need to train our children uh, in this way. You know, one of the biggest and most problematic lies that is taught in the public schools and has been taught for a long, long, long time in the public schools, I was taught this many years ago, is that Jesus just doesn't matter. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's a huge lie. Mm-hmm. That is an absolutely huge lie, but it is... Uh, it is uh, it's common. It's not just common. It's, it's the way forward for, it, yeah. for public education. It is the orthodoxy. You know... Called secularism, uh, which is it, it, a heresy. It says, it says in the Proverbs, uh, it, it says that uh, that all uh, wisdom, or maybe it's not in Proverbs. Maybe it's in Colossians. Colossians one, uh, yeah. verse seventeen. Yeah, can you quote that for us? Yeah, so Colossians one, verse seventeen. It says, "In Christ, all things cohere or stick together." Okay. Yeah, and He is before all things, and in Him all things yes. hold together. In yeah. Him, all things hold together. Yeah. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom in Proverbs. Proverbs yeah. Okay? So, uh, it's if God really made the world, mm-hmm. if God really did that, and if his word is really true, then, then the education that... Uh, that we give needs to be centered in him in the public education world. It's, uh, you know, you got to hand it to them. You got to hand it to their, their, uh, their uh, textbook makers. You got to hand it to these guys, how diligently they have scrubbed all the stuff that they learn to leave out reference to the God who is the center of everything. Of everything. Yes. It's amazing. <clears throat> Indeed. And one hand applause. One hand applause. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> A backhanded compliment. Yeah. Good good, jo- good bad work, guys. Yeah, good job, you bad guys. Well, the the, the fascinating <laughs> thing is um, I believe it was McMaster University in Hamilton, Ontario. It's a very famous Canadian university. <clears throat> They're Founding motto is this: "All things cohere in Christ." Nah. Um, McMaster has abandoned that. 
Oh, but, yes. but that was the foundation of a lot of our public education in Canada, even though we've, as Jamie said, scrubbed it now yeah. with secularism. And the thing is, is that God created everything. It's all his, and we are in Christ. And so all of Christ's, uh, all the things that he owns and has possession of, which is everything, is for us. <coughs> we belong to Christ, all of Christ for all of us and for all of life. So there's nothing in this world or universe that is not subject to our study. Right. And all things, it says in Colossians, cohere in Christ. In him, all things hold together. So that's a metaphysical claim that we make in the, in the scriptures, that all things, all being, all that is, is in Christ somehow. It, it exists because of him. In Hebrews, I think it's Hebrews 1 here. Let me just uh, turn in my analog Bible app. Can <laughs> <laughs> you get the pages flipped? I got the pages flipped. <laughs> All right, so in Hebrews 1, uh, we've got, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed the heir of all things, and here's, here's where I'm going with this, through whom he also he created the world. Okay, so what Paul, the writer of Hebrews, is saying is that Jesus is the Word, he's the Son, he's the Word, through whom all things are created. So when God spoke in the beginning, let there be light, the spoken is Christ. Okay, so... Yeah, that, that's pretty wild, but that's what Paul's saying. Okay. The spoken is Christ. And then later in verse 3, we read, He is the radiance of the glory of God, so speaking of Jesus, and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by his word of power. So the entire universe, everything, all of creation is upheld by the word of his power, speaking of Jesus. So... Between Colossians and Hebrews, we've got all things cohering in Christ, all things refer back to Christ, all things are sustained by Christ. This is where we get the, the doctrine of the, um, uh, the care that God has for every detail of life. Providence. Which we call providence. So that's the whole natural world. Mm-hmm. The whole natural world belongs to God, and it's all ours to study. And so we come to education which is basically the acquiring of knowledge of the world, of God, so that we may attain to wisdom. Mm-hmm. That's, that's where we're driving with, with education, is towards wisdom. So that means biology, psychology, yes. all these academic disciplines, every one of them, all have to be done in light of Christ as Lord over all. Yeah, when you're studying man, mm-hmm. you're studying man in light of Christ. Yes. When you're studying ants, go yes. to the ant thou sluggard. Right, when we're studying that ant, mm-hmm. we're studying that ant that was made by Christ that says something about him. Yes. As Calvin argues at the beginning of the Institutes, no one can understand God unless he first understands himself, and no one can understand himself unless he knows God. Exactly. And so... Foundation of all knowledge. Epistemology. Yes. <laughs> epistemology. That's a big word. It means the study of what you know and how you know it. Yeah. We're driving at an informed righteousness. We don't want ignorant Christians. I don't, 
I don't see anywhere in the scriptures anything that says that a Christian should be ignorant mm-hmm. of the world that God has made. We also have the dominion mandate in Genesis uh, chapter 1, yep. 27. Mm-hmm. Be fruitful and multiply, increase, fill the earth and subdue it and take dominion of it. And you take dominion of a thing by knowledge and wisdom. Mm-hmm. So name an academic discipline that uh, does not belong to Christ. Well, go on. <laughs> yeah, there isn't one. Yeah. I, I'm trying to think right now. Yeah, I'm hearing crickets, but even crickets belong to Jesus. <laughs> even crickets belong to Jesus. That's right. <laughs> yes. Now, one of the uh, Judges 2 has a very interesting little line in it. I just want to read that for you. Hmm. Judges 2.10. I should be able to find it here. Judges is an interesting book. One of the things that you see in the book of Judges is that um, when you don't pass on the law, when you don't pass on a remembrance of what God has done, your people fly off into unrighteousness. Mm -hmm. Judges 2.10. Now, this is in the passage about the, the death and burial of Joshua. Verse 10, and all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. So that's Joshua's contemporaries. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. So this is what happens when you don't educate your children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. They forget. They forget. They walk away from God. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. Mm Mm-hmm. What are we doing? What, we're, what are we seeing right now in the Canadian church when kids move out of the home, out of the Christian home? What happens? In the Abandonment vast majority, of God. Yeah, in the vast majority of cases. In the vast majority of cases, they leave the faith. They go to university. They, uh, <clears throat> they, they run into at least two substantial stumbling blocks. The first is the professor that... Uh, that teaches them that there is no God. Mm -hmm. And the second is the cute girl that's sitting next to you. Mm -hmm. And both of those are very effective stumbling blocks uh, for, for the one who actually maybe survived public education with their faith intact. And now they head off to college. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's no, there's no better way to make an evolutionist than to, than that curvy girl. And oh, that's, quite. And that's why Solomon so strongly warns his son against those paths of folly. Yes. yes. Yeah, he, he talks about that, the, the prostitute yes. in Proverbs, mm-hmm. and he warns his son against her. Well, it's, now, I don't often quote Tim Keller or refer favorably to what he has said, but he said something on this point that I found very, very profound. Uh, I read an article one time where he was quoted as saying when somebody comes to him, like a first or second year university student, mm-hmm. and they tell him, you know, I'm struggling with, with my faith and I don't, I don't know what I believe anymore and maybe I don't know. And I guess the thing that he often asks is, well, who are you sleeping with? Yes. Yep. He doesn't ask them to, yep. uh, you know, explain your faith struggle. He asks them, are you fornicating? <laughs> it, it becomes mm-hmm. a... A defense of sin yeah. in many cases. Yes. yes, I abandon my faith because I want to sin. Yes, and, uh, and abandoning, uh, 
abandoning God's revelation about things mm. is how I put up my blinders to say, okay, well, there really isn't a God. I, yes. And, and sex is the trip. It, yeah. it, it's the trip wire for so many, so many young people when they go off to college. Yeah, apostasy and sexual immorality are, are a thing that go together. Yes. And, and that's why good Christian education is also teaching young men and young women the proper self-disciplines, yes. um, disciplines of grace mm-hmm. that are um, part of the Christian life and part of developing wisdom in this world. Because a wise man is not just somebody who knows a lot about biology, who knows a lot about psychology or whatever, but a right. wise man is someone who knows how to live wisely as well. Mm-hmm. Yes. And what is living wisely but living in obedience to Christ? Yes. Mm-hmm. Which, um, like, you make that point about them forgetting God in, in Judges 2.10. You see that again here in Hosea 4, verse 6. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. That's specifically the knowledge in the Hebrew, which is the knowledge of God. Because you have rejected the knowledge, I reject you from being a priest to me. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. So that's mm. a, a constant theme in the Old Testament and the New Testament of, yes. um, of yeah, forgetting that knowledge and then um, yeah, being rejected by God. Forgetting the law of God is how your children will be abandoned by him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what is, that's the whole project of public education. Is getting you to forget. Is getting you to forget yes. God. Yeah. That's the whole project. And if you, if you study up on the founder of, of public education, especially in the States, Horace Mann, mm-hmm. is oh, yeah. aims and intents with public he, education. He wrote about it. Yeah, was very much anti-God. And <laughs> the weird thing is, like, a lot of Christians jumped on board with this whole project of public education, so a lot of the foundings were in many ways Christian. Like, in Canada, you've got somebody like Ryerson, who started Ryerson University in Toronto. He was an Anglican archdeacon. Yep. But yet, at its root, it was the idea that the state was savior and that they yes. were going to save society by education, and in the process, they forgot God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and when when we when we're talking about education and child rearing, uh, one of the things that we have to ask ourselves is what and what was the one God seeking? Like why why what was God looking for in Malachi? In Malachi, yeah. Mm-hmm. And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. Yes, <laughs> that's what God was looking for. That, I yeah. just quote, yeah, godly yeah. offspring. <laughs> you want to you know a big deal about what your marriage is for? That is what God is looking for. Godly offspring. He wants, he wants not just that your children will profess faith in Jesus. It's not just that. Mm. It's that you need to be thinking long term. You need to be thinking... Uh, with regards to the kingdom of God, I need to train my child in such a way that they take it to heart so well that they are able again to teach their own children the same and, and following down the generation, doing that. That's really what God wants of us. Mm-hmm. He wants godly offspring. Yeah, absolutely. 
He says it. Mm-hmm. It's marvelous. Chapter and verse. I love it. I'm not that smart, so when uh, God says a thing straight up, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The, um, the other thing that I, I find helpful to think about in this, in this education discussion is it's not enough for me to want my children to conform to a moral or intellectual standard. Right. I want them to love it. Yes. I want them to love mm-hmm. the moral standards of God. I yep. want them to love searching out uh, his, his wisdom in his creation. So whether we're studying a tree or studying ballistics, and you usually study ballistics while deer hunting and, <laughs> or biology while deer hunting, having hunted the deer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or the culinary arts having butchered the deer and are now cooking the deer. <laughs> yes. right? So you've got a complete study right there. The, the point is to have our children's affections turn towards the Lord and the Lord's things yes. in, in, a, in a wholehearted way. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Exactly. That's how that passage starts in Deuteronomy 6. Exactly. And in the, in the Great Commission, a thing which we've referred to in previous podcast episodes... Uh, we are commanded to to baptize the nations, to disciple the nations through baptism and teaching the nations everything that Christ has commanded us. Mm-hmm. And the well, teaching part has so often been been forgotten. It has been. <laughs> but where does teaching the nations begin? It begins in my house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've got four walls, a roof, and children. Mm-hmm. Like let's let's make this happen. Start here. Start here. So one of now we've I think fairly well established that the, the public schools are uh, the, uh, the primary institution for the catechesis of your children into statism. Yes. Now, if this is so, and it is so, oh, Christian brother, what are you doing? But now, now Brad, maybe, maybe the child can be a witness or a missionary within the public system. I would never send a child to do a man's job. I fully agree. <laughs> I, I don't send my seven-year-old son off to war in Afghanistan, right? Yep. You don't. Nope. I, I don't even nope. go there. But you, you also don't send your children to the Muslims to be educated. No, I don't, oddly enough. I don't send children into a man's fight. If a man is is called by the Lord to go into the public school as a teacher, as a missionary, okay, very well. Go do it, and the Lord bless. Your career will likely be short. You won't get tenure. And make a lot of money in the meantime. Yeah, but (laughs) you know what? Go, Go for it. But you're a man... You're going as a missionary. Mm-hmm. But, oh, Christian father, what are you doing? Yes. There, you're, you're sending your child as a missionary into a place where it is against the law for a teacher to tell you that Jesus is Lord. It's gotten a so... A teacher can, can perhaps do so, yeah. but it has to be on the side and it has to be surreptitious because if they are caught speaking that word mm. to any student, their job's on the line. And not only just that Jesus is Lord, but that teacher isn't allowed to tell your child what a man is for. Oh. Yep. Or what a woman is. Yes. Like, 
this is 2022 people. Well, yeah, now that, <laughs> and now they're teaching um, <clears throat> sex ed to the children, which very yeah. much does not align with the Christian worldview oh, and 100%. is leading children to be deeply confused and and mentally troubled. Yeah, all all the uh, all the so-called gender dysphoria has been caused by these institutions. Yes. It didn't exist until then. Mm-hmm. Like this is a wholly unnatural thing. There, uh, I can understand many sins as being natural, but some of them you just kind of have to create. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is one of them. So again, my question to Christian fathers with children in the public schools: what are you doing? Mm-hmm. What are you doing? Now, on, on the other hand, you, you do have to be careful that in, in homeschooling that you don't, um, you don't remove your children from the public school and then just give them no, like nothing, no education. And I've seen people do this where their children are illiterate and it just breaks my heart. You took them out of the public schools and then didn't do what the Lord commanded you to. Mm-hmm. You just took them out, which is taking them out is good. I get it, but... You have to teach them when you walk by the way and when you lie down, when you rise up. Yes. And, and to teach them in the fear of the Lord. Yeah, which is wisdom. Right? In the love of the Lord. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And this word shall be on your heart and you shall teach it diligently to your children. Yes. Uh, that's where that passage starts, is in the love of God, you need to be training your children in Everything that they're facing, I mean, they're, yeah. tra- train them in the world, but train them in the knowledge of Christ because that thing belongs to Christ. Christ made it. Let's, yep. let's study how Christ made this. Exactly. So when, when you're teaching your children, Christian doctrine is an obvious first place, mm-hmm. but basic literacy. Mm-hmm. And beyond basic literacy, but basic literacy means you can read your Bible. You can figure out a lot of things there just with that skill. But when you're teaching your child math, for example, math belongs to Christ. There, there have been some who have said that math was the language of nature. right? It was, it was the way God made things. Now, whether or not you agree with them, boy, everything sure has a mathematical relationship. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, a circle can be described mathematically. And circles, like my coffee cup has a circle, right? Mm-hmm. There's a circle right there. Mm-hmm. But it's a cylinder, so it has volume. Now I can describe the volume, and I can calculate that volume. And that tells me if the barista, you know, gave me the right amount of coffee that I'm paying for, <laughs> so I can calculate how many cents per milliliter of coffee, I, you know. Yes, yes, there's all these mathematical stuff, uh, yes. stuff to figure out. Your cup of coffee that you drink. Every exactly. I, we, we, could go, we could go into the weeds on this, but I think the point's almost obvious. If you're studying music, you're, you're studying intervals. Yeah. Right? You've got the, the sounds yeah. that have relationships to each other yeah. that when you look at it, it's mathematical. Mm-hmm. And there's a certain order that God has set into the world that makes beautiful music or... Exactly. Yeah. Like when or you try... coffee. Yeah, when you yeah, and coffee. There's good coffee and bad coffee. Yes, there are standards. <laughs> but like with music, if you if you get into some of the weird stuff that came out in the 60s where they were trying to make uh, I don't know what they even called it. It was like unmusic. Mm-hmm. It was nothing but dissonance with right. no with no uh, resolution. Right. I don't even know what they called it. I think they called it jazz. 
Um, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't jazz. Well, it was something else. Yeah, it was weird. Uh, you try and listen to it, mm. and it's just terrible. Or you would have the song that would it would follow some convention, and then in the middle of it, just this. I don't know, crashing thunders or something weird. It, music just in so many ways uh, beautifully reflects the unity and diversity within the triune God. Yeah. Uh, so there's something very Trinitarian about music. <laughs> yeah, you've got multiple parts speaking the same theme in harmony. Yeah. But speaking different notes. Yeah. Right. And yet it all fits together. It coheres. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it coheres. Like everything coheres in Christ, mm-hmm. uh, you, you see this coherence showing up in music. Yeah. Uh, but all of this, all of these different disciplines, uh, they all point to Jesus. Every one they of them. They all point back to him. And, and that's the kind of thing that you can talk to your children about when you walk by the way and when you lie down and yes. when you rise up. Uh, talking to them and teaching them about how this Thing works in Jesus. And what's the question every child asks? Why? Why? The sun came up this morning. Why? Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, there's, and there's multiple answers for that. Yes. You've got the orbits. You've also got the fact that, uh, you know, God just really thought that was a good idea. Yeah. This delights him every morning. It yeah. comes up. Yeah. He says, do it again. Do it again. Do it, do it again. again. <laughs> He's just like a child in that way. Yes. Do it again. <laughs> you know, you, you, you tickle a, a, a young child, they laugh. Do you stop? Again. Do it again. Yeah. So and there's God tickled pink by the sun mm-hmm. rising. And then when you when you when you look at the mechanics of it, you've got orbits. Mm-hmm. You've got planets whipping around each other. You've got a sun whipping around. You've got a bunch of suns whipping around. Mm-hmm. It's all magnificent. But uh, yeah, do it again. And without Christ, it would all fly apart. Quite. He yes. is the coherence. Uh, more so than gravity. Uh, I find very fascinating. A lot of the intelligent design disputes in academia right now. Mm-hmm. I think it's marvelous that these guys are like looking at the cell, right? The little tiny thing yeah. that you can't see with the naked eye. And they're like, you know, there's mechanical mechanisms in this cell that look like they were designed. Simplest answer, they were, right? Mm-hmm. Occam's razor. <laughs> Having eliminated the nonsense. Yeah. So I now most of these guys aren't willing to say who the designer was. They're playing coy. Right. But, you know, they recognize a design. Right. So we've got you, we've got you halfway to Christ, your intelligent design scientist. <laughs> the heavens do declare the glory of God, so that yes. knowledge is there. Yes. That knowledge is written by God everywhere. You can even think of the human body, right? Like mm-hmm. the way the brain sends signals to the human body. You're starting a race, the gun fires, the brain right away starts sending um, signals to neurons all over your body. Your arms just start swinging, your legs start running. Yeah. Um, it's, it's an incredible mechanism that's created by a loving creator. Yes. It's impossible in the evolutionary worldview. Oh, 100%. If, if, if evolution were true... Uh, none of what we have could be. I mean, how do you, how so do you account? Complex. Yeah, it's too complex. How do you account for non-physical realities if all is matter that moves? Mm-hmm. Like how, how do you account for love or hate or thought mm-hmm. or idea? Mm-hmm. Where does that come from? Yeah, what is that? I thought we were just things moving. Mm-hmm. If, yeah, I'm just a thing that moves. Mm-hmm. But then you have to account for motion. 
Like what, what's motion? It's the movement of a body through space over time. Okay, now what's time? <laughs> oh, I don't know. It's a thing that hit another thing at high rates of speed and blew up. <laughs> I don't get it. Like, I, I remember one time in high school, we were having uh, a, a particular class where the teacher was instructing us in this evolutionary philosophy. And I remember telling him in front of the whole class that his, um, his religion required as much faith, if not more faith, than mine did to believe it because I had good historical you know, reasons right. for believing that Jesus rose from the dead, having multiple witnesses. And that put him off. Oh, <laughs> as oh. could be imagined. As could be imagined. <laughs> and, and and you see that again in the last two or three years with all the COVID regulations. Is mm. that science in many ways does become the state religion? You got to trust the science. Right? Trust the science. Yes, Fiducia, That's the biblical word for faith. Right. Is, is trust in science. Yeah. <laughs> I trust. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The new religion of Fauci. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So Christian education is supposed to um, cultivate the tools for um, critical thinking and yes, um, all those things that that help us to protect us from the lie. So if the Lord made everything, and He is rational, then everything He made is rational. And if we are being made by Him are also rational, then we can rationally understand that which He has made. And this is the foundation of all scientific knowledge and inquiry. The foundations of scientific inquiry and knowledge are Christian, inescapably Christian. Yes. Science and, is ours. And, and science as, is ours. And yes. as we study science, we look for patterns and, and order. And where yes. could that order and where could those patterns come from except from, from God? And where could our reasonable expectation that a pattern or order... Should, that, should be, a, you know, yeah. sustained through time, right? Where does that come from? Like, how do I know the sun is going to come up tomorrow morning? Right. Is it just because it came up yesterday or is it because it must come up tomorrow? Yes. Right. Like, wh why <laughs> is it continuing to rise? Uh, the, the, whole, the whole notion of cause and effect, that a, a cause has an effect that results necessarily from it, mm -hmm. that's a Christian idea. Right. This is something centered in, in the very character of God and in his creation. Mm -hmm. uh, you can't get cause and effect out of evolutionism. It just it doesn't make sense that an evolutionist would appeal to cause and effect. Yeah. So I find it very funny that people like to say that science and faith are in opposition. It, it's funny because it's not true. Science is ours. I think it was Aquinas that used to say, "I believe, therefore I know." Was it? Was that? Was that him? Yeah. I believe, therefore I understood. I think. Yeah, I think that was Augustine. Was Augustine. Sorry, Augustine. Yeah. yeah, I got the A's mixed up. Credo ut intelligam. Ah, a I Latin scholar. That I can understand. <laughs> yes. So the uh, the foundations of knowledge are Christian. Uh, we we know because we are rational creatures. We are rational creatures because we are made by a rational Creator. We participate in this rationality, mm -hmm. and this is marvelous. The uh, yeah, the secularist cannot explain this. They cannot account for this in their worldview. Yeah. So, so I just want to think a little bit about different types of Christian education, just to mm -hmm. uh, get our listeners thinking about what they can do. So there's homeschooling, mm -hmm. and yeah. there's a huge variety of different programs that you can choose from. Yes. Um, so. There's a lot of different programs. There, 
Yeah. Hundreds of them. And different styles <laughs> of education. You can put together your own styles of education uh, based on your child's needs or interests or strengths or weaknesses. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's also different types of Christian education. So there's more, I guess you could say, mainstream Christian education, but then there's also uh, classical Christian education. Yep. Classical Christian education tends to be very popular down in the States. Um, yeah, and it's produced good fruit. Yeah, and it's becoming increasingly popular in Canada, too, because I think you're seeing a couple new classical Christian schools pop up in Toronto, yeah. in Windsor, um, I, I think some areas like that. Yeah, and I think there's one that's popping up in Cochrane, I think. I'm not sure. Yeah. Mm, don't think that one's running this year. Okay, maybe it's running next year. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so... They have hopes. They have very high hopes, and... Yeah. Lord bless you. So, so classical <laughs> Christian education is especially focusing on the history of of the West. Um, yeah, it's it's forming, uh, or sorry, following, yeah, following different word from forming, but it's following a classical model. So that's the the trivium. That's a Latin word. It means three parts, essentially. So you've got three stages of development that a child goes through. Uh, and it's learning. So in, in the very beginning, when a child is young, uh, you'll notice that children memorize things really well. Mm-hmm. You give a child an encyclopedia, and they'll memorize all the big cities. Right. right. All, the cities with, yeah, all the cities with more than yeah. 20 million people. Yeah. They'll memorize all those numbers. <laughs> and yeah. they'll go through and they'll... talking mem- about me. Yeah, I'm talking about you. <laughs> <laughs> we had a discussion earlier this morning about this. Uh, though a child will... Uh, like when I was a child, one of the things that I memorized was all the types of aircraft that uh, were used in World War II. <laughs> right? I went through and memorized as many of those as I could. It was just a thing. But you memorize a lot as a, as a very young child. And this is where you get uh, your basic grammar. You learn to speak your mother tongue here. Uh, this is a cup. That is a book. Here is a table. And so you're memorizing all these words through repetition, just repetition. And so in the grammar stage of, of the classical model, it's a lot of rote memorization. Very interesting, in modern education, at least in Alberta and, and in Western Canada, the rote memorization stage has been completely obliterated. Mm. We absolutely refuse in the public system to memorize. We are not memorizing. We don't do that, and we don't go with girls who do. Which is, <laughs> to me, again... It's just a violation of nature because that's the stage in life when memorization is easiest. Right. So there's a particular point where there's a transition from memorization where a child goes from just memorizing fact after fact after fact and then starts asking the question, why? Mm-hmm. Like, why does the sun come up? Critical thinking. You get more into the critical thinking or the logic stage. So in following with that stage in a child's development, you train them to think about and in terms of systems. So you have logical and logically coherent systems. So instead of memorizing all the types of aircraft, you start discovering what keeps an airplane up. So you've got thrust, Mm -hmm. you've got lift, you've got the shape of the aerofoil, airspeeds, weight to thrust ratios, all that. You start talking about that. So you're talking about the system. So you've moved from your grammar to your logic. Now, after you've been discussing and teaching your system and your logic, now you move to what we would call the rhetoric stage. There comes a point in time where a kid gets really mouthy, right? And you just can't shut him up. You spent all these years teaching him to talk, and now you want him to be quiet. (laughs) Well, now, 
they've moved from mere argument to a position where they should be able to express the facts and the system that they have learned in a coherent and convincing manner. This is the rhetoric stage. So you've moved from learning fact to learning logical coherence to convincing others of the truth, being able to speak well, being able to write well. So when you get into the high school years, you should be focusing your education on the communication of truth, uh, of truth, beauty, and goodness. The focus is on communicating the truth to the world and arguing and defending your truth claims against a variety of attacks and opposition. So that's what the classical model is in primary education. And right. so that's what classical schools are and classical homeschools are doing. Right. And it's, it's the old method. If you read Quintilian, he was a Roman educator, I think during the reign of Tiberius, I think. Don't quote me on that. It could have been Augustus. He wrote a book on education and he talks in those terms. That's where we get this idea of trivium. And the medieval church used that as the basic primary education model all the way up till the modern period. Yeah. So there's, uh, there's different types of educational theory then, which Christians can consider and reflect upon which, which type of theory is uh, the most biblical way of educating their children. I think something that's been somewhat underdeveloped, especially in the modern age, is how physical discipline uh, fits in with a Christian education, mm. whether that be classical, whether that be a more mainstream kind of uh, education. Where exactly do you think physical discipline would fit in for children? Is that part of a Christian way of educating? I would say so, because it's not just the mind that belongs to Christ. Yes. And it's not just with our minds that we should love Christ. Right. It's with our bodies. So physical education is part of this. Um, <clears throat> the, uh, the wrestler Plato, I mean the philosopher Plato, <laughs> once, uh, once wrote in one of his books, and I believe it was in The Republic, that it is a tragedy for a man to achieve his manhood having never experienced uh, the strength and beauty of which his body is capable. And Plato, I called him the wrestler because he was a famous wrestler. Mm. Uh, so if you didn't study hard enough in his lectures, he could throw you. <laughs> <laughs> Probably choke you right out. Right. Greek wrestling was much like uh, MMA. <laughs> um, so the physical side of things is as important. Uh, school sports can be a good thing. It's very often taken to the extreme where it matters more than the academics. Yes. Which is a problem because now you're not loving God with your mind. Right. You're loving him with your body maybe, but you're not loving him with your mind. Yeah. Well, for example, I heard a story of a secular university down in the States where the uh, professor was teaching somebody on the, uh, the football team hmm. and he was failing his test. So the professor was going was gonna to fail him. And uh, the school told him, no, you're not allowed to fail him because he's like our star football player. <laughs> and so then, then uh, you, you see a decline in education as a result of maybe a, an overemphasis on the right. physical as well. Right. But so, it does have its place. The, um, it does. Yeah. The body, the body is for the Lord, just as the mind is. And, but yeah. 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 And, and I, think, I think that's what's really good about a place like New St. Andrews College and their educational theory there is that 
you're put through a rigorous level of education. Um, you see that with like uh, Navy SEALs or something like that. They're put through very rigorous physical education. Mm. Well, academic education should be the same thing. You yes. should be going through a school being challenged and being challenged to your very limits yes. um, so that you can, you can expand your, your mental horizons. Um, and I, I think that's a very Christian way of looking at it. We, we need to be challenging ourselves and striving to be the best that we can be for God. Yeah. And we are, again, doing everything for the glory of God. But part of the glory of God is overthrowing the strongholds of Satan in this world. Yes. And many of those strongholds are academic strongholds. And many of them are in the arts, mm-hmm. uh, like movies, right? You, you try and watch a movie these days. Ugh, their writing is terrible. <clears throat> it's true. That's, it's grotesquely bad. And so we need Christians to be writing movies, true and, movies. And doing a much better job than, uh, than the secular world is doing. Much better. We should be able to do better. Like we... And with good Christian education, we can. Oh, easily. We yes. can do better. Uh, and New St. Andrews is a good example of, of a, a liberal arts college doing great work. I really would love to be able to send my children there if I can, right, in the future. Or, or start one in Canada. Yeah, or start one here. Um, <laughs> it, it's a thing. Like, I, I would love to do that. There's a lot of people that can't travel down to the States. You know, it's, it's expensive. Uh, but if we had something like that here, oh, that would be magnificent. We, we could put our highly educated people in every field, doctors, lawyers, engineers, politicians, every field with a higher educational ex- expectation and requirement, we could put our people everywhere doing good work for the Lord and work to subsume our culture and then remake it into the image of Christ. Mm-hmm. And I think in order to get to that point, um, we do need to be aware of uh, certain pressures within the academic world. Academia likes to move as a unit and think in terms of consensus Ah, uh, so often in North America. And so you are going to need academics who are a little bit renegade at times who think outside the box, who ask the questions that nobody's asking, who challenge the status quo. Mm -hmm. And I think Christian academics can really find a place there at this point in time um, where we are forging the way ahead for a new period of revival in education without just going along with the consensus, going along with the status quo of evolutionary thought and all of that. Right. Um, but we can we can challenge things and, and really find a place within uh, the North American educational system. Yeah. And I, I really think that because the world belongs to Jesus and we belong to Jesus, like this is ours. Let's just take it. Yep. It's going to take hard work, but let's do it. Uh, we need to form Christian institutions uh, that are robust. We need, like you said, our our academics challenging the evolutionary worldview in, in, in the world of academia, which honestly, it shouldn't be hard. It, uh, evolution is just a laughable, nonsensical doctrine. If you, if you learn to laugh at evolution, it's very easy to intellectually overthrow the thing. Right? It's, yeah. just, it's not difficult. <laughs> yes, even unbelievers are overthrowing it. Yeah, They're overthrowing he, Darwinism. 
from within. From within. Yeah. So and, yeah, and you might lose your job, and you might be paid yeah. less for working at a Christian university. But hey, if you can be teaching according to your conscience, that's a really cool thing. That is. <laughs> that's a liberating thing. And a liberating thing. A, freedom. A very liberating thing. But the other thing too about those those men and women involved in in the academic training of the next generation in the higher education aspect of it, those people are very influential, right? So if those people are loving Jesus, searching the scriptures and investigating the world according to its word and in light of the, the fact of the coherence of all knowledge in Christ, then the next generation is just going to go further with that. Oh yeah, they're going to take off like a rocket. Yeah, uh, if you if you want our culture to become more and more made into the image of Jesus Christ, Christian education is one of the most revolutionary things you can do. Mm-hmm. It it is warfare, and this is why you will find that the the powers that be of this world are in opposition to it. So if you take up Christian education, be prepared for opposition. Yeah, be prepared. Uh, this requires courage. Yes. Yeah. Uh, we we took to the idea of homeschooling, I think probably in our second or third year of marriage, just after our first child was born. Uh, I, had, I had been through the public system, and my wife had been through the public system, and both of us felt quite inadequate to offer an education, a little wonder. We'd barely been given one. and <laughs> uh, But we, we came to the conviction that, you know, if, it, if it's really so that uh, Christ uh, is king, if it's really so that uh, we are going to need to find a way to to cause the faith to flourish from one generation to the next mm-hmm. in our family. Uh, so our, our prime task in the education in our house was to raise children in the fear of the Lord. Uh, we decided we'd homeschool because we, we knew that, uh, that the school was a... Uh, it was a great engine for the wrong team, right? Uh, we we could see that was true because mm-hmm. because you go to school and uh, you you may have been taught that the uh, that the Bible says that the Earth is not all that old, and uh, and that idea is scoffed at in the school. Yep. Uh, well, that's a pretty foundational idea. Yeah, uh, we decided it would be better to to teach uh, at home and to raise kids to fear and to honor the Lord. Uh, we neither of us uh, in my in my house were particularly academic mm-hmm. in our uh, in our understanding. Uh, I'm I'm really. Please, though, I'm on the far end of this. Our youngest child is 18 now, and I look back at our kids and I think, well, uh, that worked. It worked. <laughs> it worked. You know, all, all the all those years of uh, of homeschooling, 
uh, that that uh, you know it was hard. Oh yeah, it was, hard. It was especially hard for my wife. Yeah, uh, and it got to the point where we had to stop, and uh, some of our younger kids went to the schools, yeah. but uh, but the long term fruit, I'm 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 looking at that, and I'm saying, you know, despite us not being academically minded, despite us uh, having as poor an education as we had, despite these things, God has done great things. Yes. God has done great things in my kids. Mm-hmm. And my kids are growing up with a, with a vision that I really wanted yep. to actually raise their children in mm-hmm. the fear and admonition of the Lord. Yeah, and one of your daughters is actually working on a curriculum right now. And yes. She's making a curriculum. She's making a Bible curriculum, and it's really intensive, and it's really, really good. Wow, that's good. So yeah. uh, so there's, <clears throat> I, I'm really thankful for that because that was something I never did. Uh, I, I made a whole lot of songs, mm-hmm. uh, which, which uh, has been a really good educational tool in Bible. Uh, my kids learned the Bible really well, uh, and we sang a whole bunch of it. Yep. We sang a whole bunch of it, and lots and lots of people have listened to, to my music and gotten the same, uh, the same value out of it, that this trained their children in the Scriptures, it trained them there. Uh, it wasn't systematic. Uh, like I would hit this story and I'd hit this story and I'd hit this story and this story and this law and this, this right. list. Biblical theology. Uh, <laughs> biblical theology stuff. Uh, yeah, but it was an accumulation. Uh, it was an accumulation. Uh, yeah, my, my, my younger children, uh, my younger children uh, who are right now operating in a pretty different sphere than we are. Three of them live down in Red Deer, and they're part of a different sort of a church. Those three kids are just amazing to mm. the people down there <laughs> because they, they're kids with their heads on straight who know their Bibles inside out. Yeah, you, you cut them and they bleed Bible. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, well, that's a, that's a net gain as far as I'm concerned oh, yeah. for the sake of the kingdom of God. It is. Even not being an academically oriented well, uh, the you know the the construction worker mm-hmm. builds builds that that building unto the Lord. Yeah. The uh, the oil field worker fracks that well unto the Lord. Unto the Lord. The academic writes his horribly written and dry and dusty paper <laughs> unto the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Between committees and academics, we're not sure who the worst writers are. Yeah. <laughs> and you Doctors. know what? At, at, <laughs> nah, you can't read the doctor note. My handwriting is messy enough. I should have been a doctor. Anyway, you were saying. I was going to say at times there's uh, there's not too much of a gap in between. Like people make a big gap in between the uh, the blue co- blue collar worker and the academic. Mm-hmm. But on so many different points, like the academic and the blue collar worker share God's world in common, so they have yeah. a lot to talk about. Oh mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. We all eat food, and especially when you're in the church, you both come to the table of the Lord, so yeah. you're both brothers in Christ. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's that's, so. that's one table, one bread, one wine. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. No, the uh, it, it's funny too because like I spoke earlier about how poorly educated I was, I couldn't understand a book that I was reading. Mm-hmm. Uh, this this year, my oldest, she's twelve. She decided 
that she wanted the Logos Online Omnibus uh, 1 and 2 course. And it's got a like a book stack that you got to read. It's probably about I don't know, foot and a half thick. Yeah, yeah, of classics, right? So she's she's going through Homer, the Odyssey, and she's going through. Uh, I don't know if she goes through Virgil yet, or if that's next year, but she's going through like a bunch of these big books: mm-hmm. Plato's. Um, uh, Apology for Socrates, mm-hmm. The Last Days of Socrates. She's going through that. And she's devouring these books. It's really fun to see. But when we were looking at curriculum for this year, my wife showed her that book list. Mm-hmm. And uh, my daughter was very animated. She wanted that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and she's 12. Yeah. And I, I'm just tickled pink. I That's just great. love it. Yeah. Oh, and another point. This is something that, is slightly peripheral, but not really. Uh, if you want your grandsons to be well-educated, then your daughters had better be well-educated. You cannot cut corners on that. If you want your grandsons to possess knowledge and wisdom and informed righteousness, your daughters had better have it. Because if you're going to be multi-generational in homeschooling, which I think given our current day is going to be the case for most, yes, yeah. that is the need of the hour. Your daughters must be well-educated. On the uh, Another benefit of having well-educated daughters is that uh, when young men come around to court them, it weeds out a lot of the bums. <laughs> and, and when they get married and their husbands have dumb ideas, then they can uh, yes. be like, you know what, I don't think that's a great in. idea. <laughs> yeah. A wise wife. A wise wife is a marvelous gift. It, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. So there, there are many, many reasons, dear listener, why you should withdraw from the public schools for the sake of your children and grandchildren, and why you should educate your children either at home or in a good Christian school. Anything but the government school. Well, not anything. Well, okay. Yeah, there are some things yes. you should just There are do. some things you should do. Just don't <laughs> do. Yes. Yeah, that thing that you're thinking of. Not that. Not that. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, but to recognize recognize that this is God's world. It really is. It really does belong to the Lord Jesus. Yes. Like he has all authority. Uh, that's what he claimed. He all said authority. all authority on earth. All of it. You know, it said in heaven and on earth. Yep. So I uh, that's that's king language. Yes. Jesus is the king. If that's really the case, then order your lives accordingly. Yes. Order your world accordingly. Order your child rearing accordingly. Mm-hmm. Jesus is Lord. And I, how, how can I enact that knowledge in my home? Mm-hmm. That, that's really important to do. Yeah. And like all discipline, mm-hmm. academic discipline is difficult. Yeah. So do it. And it's difficult. And do it. Yes. Face the challenge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I go to work and it's 50 below and my boss says we're working today. I say, okay, figure it out. You know, it, is it a difficulty? Yeah. Figure it out. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, in some ways, it's easier to sit down and try to read Irenaeus than go out and work uh, 
16 hour day and negative 50 degree temperatures. Yeah. I, yeah. I would know <laughs> yeah. as well. <laughs> yeah. Having done both the, uh, that cold weather work and the, uh, the reading. It's easier to read Irenaeus. <laughs> oh, quite. Yeah. No, I suddenly understood him <laughs> when faced with the alternative. The, yeah. It, it is an academic discipline, education, uh, but it is good. It is good for a young man to put his back to the plow. It is good to learn. I think it's his hand to the plow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I if suppose. he puts his back to the plow, that's a problem. Yeah. Then maybe his ox. Put his hand and, to the plow. Well, yeah. But if your ox is, you know, broke, you gotta. Yes. Push it. Well, and if you think about it too, right? Like a <laughs> young man, a young man has physical strength in his youth. Yeah. But he also has certain mental strengths in his youth as well, and mm -hmm. energies that he's able to really push himself hard in the academic sphere too. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. That's about all I think I have to say on the matter. Right. Well, thanks, uh, Brad, for your walk through this with us. Yeah. Um, we hope that it's been valuable to you as uh, you sat in on our discussion on Christian education, on the need for it, on the need uh, for Christians to honor Jesus as Lord, even in the way they educate their children. And so we... Pray for you folks uh, who are listening that uh, the Lord will grant you courage and wisdom and vision for the sake of the glory of God in the raising of your children, that you would do so uh, with the knowledge that Jesus is Lord and that this world is his, all of it, from top to bottom. So, thank you very much for listening to us today. And the Lord bless you all. All right, bye now. Bye.